like you can be really whatever you want to be lah and just dance a lot of the things that we try like we don't really know what is in our brain but then you just put it to the floor and something magical will come just try out anything instead of going through anything. The first time we met and also during our sessions together and you were so quiet and shy and, and then it's just so hard to see that before. The change in your personality, it's, uh, it's really impressive and good job! The confidence that one has, like, increased by a lot. So the first thing is really the event office is in, so what he's supposed to do a particular move, you can close your eyes and turn behind and know that you're training very hard. And I think that's really a trait that will help you to go far. Crazy stuff that we practice together. There was not one in which he said no or I'm scared. And that kind of brings up the fact it's really what will be essential because the world is a scary place. The mentors are very thankful that you trust us and they open up to us. I know like trusting people is not easy, especially as someone younger. Right? It's not easy to open up to a big group of strangers and come out and dance is even more scary. Just keep uh, doing what you're doing.
Welcome to BBTC. Welcome to the house of God. Welcome to the household of faith. So for those of you who can't join us on-site for whatever reason, thank you for joining it online to make your household, wherever you're watching this, a household of faith as well. Of course, given the current situation, the, the, the changing guidelines, there are evolving guidelines for what we can and can't do in church. But rest assured, the following events will still be taking place. The Great Commission to preach the gospel and make disciples must continue. First, we have Alpha. Did you know that in the past uh, English and Mandarin runs of Alpha held online by BBTC, we had a total of 18 salvations. The great... Dis I think that's worth... A praise offering to God. The Great Commission must continue. That, that, that's our job. So if you know someone out there, or maybe even yourself, someone who has a lot of questions about the Christian faith, someone who wants to know more about this man we talk about so much, this man named Jesus, and you want to have a, a safe environment to ask questions, and now it's even more convenient because it's online, on Zoom, why not prayerfully invite them or sign yourself up uh, for these upcoming runs of Alpha at BBTC. First up will be the Mandarin Alpha. You see there on your screen, July 1st, it starts. 11 sessions on Zoom. And also after that will be our 24th run of our English Alpha, which uh, starts on August the 6th, soon after that, with uh, 10 sessions on Friday nights on Zoom. So the details are on your screen. I encourage you to sign yourself up or invite someone for Alpha. Next announcement, how many of you know that these are interesting and unprecedented times? And uh, how many of you feel like I do, that now is the time to really pray like never before? Our children's pastor, I was speaking to him, he had this really interesting phrase for me. He says, uh, this is the time for us to fight the battle on our knees. This is the time to fight the battle on our knees. And you know what? A lot of us are going to be stuck at home on most days anyway. So if you're going to be at home, why not make it a house of prayer? Join us on the first Friday of June, June the 4th, that's two Fridays from now, for our corporate BBTC monthly worship and intercession. Uh, this time around, we'll be praying in the words, the words in the Lord's Prayer, which says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So keep your evening free on June the 4th. Details are on the Zoom, on the screen there. It will be a Zoom WNI. Updates on other events will be sent through our Body Life WhatsApp channels uh, and on BBTC social media. So be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're wondering what WhatsApp channel we're talking about, that's exclusive for BBTC cell groups. So if you are watching us online, you haven't been uh, come to be part of BBTC Body Life, uh, you can just write in to us and we'll make sure that you're plugged in to our Body Life uh, cell groups and then you'll get the WhatsApp messages. Okay, with all the announcements out of the way, it's time to worship the Lord. So, a few uh, just uh, uh, straightforward uh, instructions, just gentle reminders. Please keep your distance on throughout. We're all nicely spaced out here. Uh, current guidelines say no congregational singing. Um, and also, you keep your mask on at all times. So, on that note, can I ask everyone to stand up? Glance, but don't move near to the person next to you. Make sure the mouth covered, the nose covered, all good. Give them a big BBTC smile, like I'm smiling to the people at home right now. And let's get ready to worship the Lord. There is this phrase in the Bible, this word Hosanna is first used in the Psalms, then in the Gospels, where people waving palm branches lined the streets and the people of Jerusalem shouted, Hosanna. And Hosanna means, Lord, save us. It is a shout of belief, belief that there is only one person who can save us in our time of need, our time of trouble. And that person they worship then and we worship today is our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is our prayer as we come into a time of worship, a time where we 
come to Him and lean into Him for faith, for more faithful, Lord. Lord, save us, Hosanna. And we pray that today, our praise as it arises, as we turn our eyes to our Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Hosanna to the God who saves us. Let's worship the Lord. Of things. You are Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. 
You're my Savior, Messiah, Redeemer and Friend. You're my Prince of Peace, and I will live my life for You. You're my Prince of Peace. You're my Prince of Peace, and I will live my life for You. Here we go. Yes, Lord, even as we give you praise, we recognize that you are our King and you are our Lord. And Lord, we know that perhaps some of us are in very difficult situation, very stressful situation. But we look to you, oh God. You are our King. You are our Lord. You are the Prince of Peace that we can depend on. Then Lord, today we just want to embrace you. We want to abandon ourselves to you. And regardless whether is it good times or bad times, we want to raise a hallelujah to you. We want to raise a hallelujah to you and you alone. Hallelujah. We praise you, O oh God. We praise you, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'll raise a hallelujah In the presence of my enemies I'll raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I'll raise a hallelujah my weapon is a melody Woo! I'll raise a hallelujah Heaven comes and fight for me I'm gonna sing In the middle of the storm Louder and louder You're gonna hear my praises roar Hallelujah With everything inside of me Woo! I'll raise a hallelujah I will watch the darkness flee 
closer to you and receive the grace that we need for every good work. Fear indeed is cast out. 
pray all this in Jesus' most loving, precious, and mighty name. Amen.
back thousands of years ago till now, usually we've been doing it with unleavened bread. Unleavened bread as a symbol, as a representation of how pure this bread is, of how pure the body of our Lord Jesus Christ is. He came to this earth as a sinless man and even as He died on the cross, He died on the cross a sinless man. A sinless, a spotless, a perfect sacrifice, paying the price for sinful men. And He said to His disciples, every time you eat of this bread, remember me. Remember my commands. Remember my love. Remember that I died for your salvation. Remember that as I die, you are healed. Church, on-site, online, let's take off the bread, the body of Christ. following that we consider the cup as you peel open that second layer the wine the cup it represents the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ back then the blood of animals had to be used to atone for sin and every day every morning they have to do it again and again until the perfect sacrificial lamb was sent to this earth he wasn't just sent he volunteered, he, he took that cup, he agreed that this is what he would do for the people whom he loved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life by the blood that was shed. So our Lord Jesus Christ, even as we prepare to take of this cup, we remember that it brings us cleansing, it brings us redemption, it gives us life. And we drink it in gratitude of the overcoming of the victory that we partake of in this cup. Church, let's take off the cup, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ together. worship Him in the partaking and now we worship Him in our giving. There are ways to give. You can see them. Um, you can checks, bank transfer, pay now for those of you at home. It may be more convenient for those of us on site that will be offering boxes on your way out. But rather than just focus on the how you give, I want to focus on the why we give. Why we give is because everything we have, God gave to us. Whatever we can give back, we can never outgive what God has given us. So it is with this spirit of of, of, of cheerfulness, of joy, of gratitude, of thankfulness that I encourage us to give our tithes and our offering on a regular basis. Come, let's pray to bless the tithes and offerings. Father God, you say you love a cheerful giver. Tutor us to give back to you a portion of what you have given us with cheerful hearts, with gladness and joy, knowing that it is our sign of gratitude that God truly has given us everything we have more than we deserve. So we pray that you bless the tithes, the offerings for the extension, the establishment of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
we have restarted the habit of congregational prayer. So I'm going to ask everyone to just rise to your feet. At home, if it's convenient, you can even join us on your feet right now. So everyone just rise to your feet. What we're going to do is first we're going to read our scripture meditation, right? And then let me, uh, then we're going to have a moment of prayer. So first, let's start with Hebrews 10, 24, 25, the reference, the verse, and then the reference on the count of three. One, two, three. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So for the next one minute, wherever you are standing, and if at home where you can talk to, pray with your spouse, pray with your children, one minute, let's pray for a united church, a church that does not give up in the habit of gathering, a church that is full of love and care. One minute over to you for prayer. Thank you, Father God, that we stand here as children of your love, of your perfect love. And we just pray that this will be a church that will learn to overflow with love, overflow with love for one another, that all will know what disciples look like, and overflow with love for the world beyond. Teach us how to love one another unconditionally, our family members, our cell members, our leaders, so that we can be united, we can be one church, remembering that we serve one God speaking as one voice. And we pray that even as we raise up this prayer, that you purpose our hearts and minds to look at one another with love, with forgiveness, with more grace in the spirit of unity. Let us be one church, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please take your seat. And now here to unpack these verses as well as uh, out of the book of Hebrews in our continued uh, sermon series from the book of Hebrews is our brother, our very faithful brother. He's grown up here in, in BBTC and I believe he's here to stay. Our brother Leon Wee preaching out of Hebrews chapter 10. Thanks, Pastor Edric. Shalom, church. It's good to see everyone. Um, the last time that... Uh, Pastor Singley and David and myself were preaching a series. It was the series of Hebrew kings. And today we're also in the middle of a series. Um, this is a series of warnings from the book of Hebrews. Just a quick recap. When we kicked off this series, uh, Pastor Singley talked about uh, paying much closer attention. Uh, David talked about hardening of heart and the warning that we should not harden our hearts. And of course, last week, Pastor Singley warned us not to fall away. Today, I'm going to be picking up on the fourth part of that series, talking about the deserting of Christian assembly, why that's dangerous, and warning us not to fall in that uh, regard. My message actually can be summed up in one very simple word that has helpfully found its way on the stage, gather, gather, okay? So that's uh, really the word that we want to think about for um, today. The passage is the passage that we just read. It's a very familiar passage to many of us. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love 
and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I know that we're in the fourth part of a five-part series, but I still thought it would be useful just to give a very brief recap, especially if we have folks joining us for the first time um, for this series of the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews, in a nutshell, Hebrews is a New Testament book, which means that it's written entirely in Greek, which is a very confusing thing for a book that is entitled Hebrews. And we don't know, or at least I don't know, who the author of the book is, but we have a good guess that it was written before AD 70. Why is AD 70 important? Because that's the year that Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans. And up until that point, there was actually a functioning temple. And as Pastor Edric was talking about just now, every morning, every evening, people would sacrifice animals. And so the book of Hebrews really takes uh, a point against this sacrificial system and says that's obsolete. That's out of date. Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, not the blood of bulls and goats. Now, Hebrews does three things. I mean, it does a lot of things, but we can sum it up into three key points. Hebrews reveres the faithful Christ. One of the key words in Hebrews is better. I think it appears 11 times in 13 chapters. It's always talking about, you know, Jesus is the better high priest of a better covenant. We can expect better things. In that regard, Hebrews reveres the faithful Christ. And Hebrews is also full of encouragement for the flagging church. And in that sense, it revives the flagging church, calling, calling it to persevere through persecution. Finally, Hebrews remonstrates the faithless Christian. As we know, it's full of warnings for the disobedient and the potentially disobedient. And then we zoom into chapter 10 in particular, and it talks about one sacrifice that has superseded them all, allowing us, therefore, boldness to come before the throne of grace but we have to be careful not to confuse that boldness for brazenness to sin. Just because we are forgiven from our sins does not give us license to then freely sin because that would, to be, that would be to make a mockery of the sacrifice of the Lord. And finally, zooming into our text for today, verses 24 and 25, just two verses, we find that there are three key exhortations in the text. The first is to keep up the good works. The second, to keep meeting. And the third to keep on keeping on. So this is the roadmap for today. We'll go through all three exhortations, but before we do, will you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this time to come before you to learn from your word, to drink deeply of the scripture. Even though this is a familiar passage for many of us, would you open our eyes to see new truths and wondrous truths from your law? Would you guide us, Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, exhortation number one. Keep up the good works. Hebrews 10.24 encourages us to stir up one another to love and good works. It doesn't just say, okay, church, love everyone and do good works. Now, of course, we're obviously commanded to love everyone and we're commanded to do good works. But what the verse is saying is let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The NIV has it as spur one another on. And the KJV, with its usual majesty, tells us to provoke one another unto love and good deeds. This is quite an interesting difference, right? Rather than simply commanding the thing to be done, which God does do elsewhere, here God wants us as a community of believers to actively think about how to encourage love and good works amongst ourselves and almost even to incentivize it or to reward it. 
By doing so, and I think this is a masterstroke, there's immediately ownership, right? Immediately, the Hebrews are challenged to be proactive about their faith. And more than that, there almost seems to be an element of, of fun, if you will allow that word, or challenge in the words, consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. As a parent, I can already see the dynamic shift from when I tell my children, all right, eat your vegetables, to when I say, okay, Tete, uh, I want you to encourage Mimi to eat her vegetables. And Mimi, I want you to think of all the ways that you can encourage Tete to eat her vegetables, maybe by giving her a hug every time she eats her veggies, or by saying, wow, you did an amazing job. And you can see that the change is almost immediate, right? They're not likely to eat more vegetables out of sheer obedience to me. But because they're now involved in each other's vegetable consumption, so to speak, it becomes not just something that the parent says, but something that we do as siblings, as children together. And secondly, besides helping us to take ownership, do you realize that it's almost impossible for the words stir one another up to love and good works to have any meaning at all in the absence of a community? You need at least one person, right, or preferably a larger body for these words to make any sense. And this is precisely where the local church comes in. Here in BBTC, how do we regularly stir each other up to love and good deeds? Well, we're constantly reminded um, not to be easily offended, not to compare, not to condemn, not to park in church if you can help it. And we're also regularly encouraged to volunteer in groups or in families during campaigns like BCS Awareness Week or even um, the Blessings Campaign, for those of you who remember it. In BCS, we can volunteer to help school children with tuition work in the neighborhood or even to be a listening ear to young adults at College East. And even within the church, even within the body, there's a wide variety of ways that we can serve and do good works. I mean, we need ushers, we need AV crew. I can tell you for a fact that we need more drummers, so if you play the drums, please, please reach out. These are all the ways and means that BBTC as a church, as a corporate body, stirs us up, the congregation, towards love and good deeds. So that's well and good for the church, but what about us personally? How can we, in whatever capacities that we have, or whatever positions that we hold, stir each other up towards love and good deeds? I mean, at work, how would you, as a boss or as an employee, stir your colleagues up to love and good deeds? Or as a parent, how would you stir up your children to love and good deeds? Or as a spouse, or a sibling, or a son and daughter, how can you stir your family up to love and good deeds? I think there are several things that we can do when trying to encourage those around us to love and good deeds. Everybody knows, of course, Actions speak louder than words. And so if we want to see love and good deeds rise in those around us, then we had, start, we had better start paying attention to whether or not we are loving those around us and doing good deeds to the degree that we would like to see in others. I'd like to give two examples, how to be a good um, example at work. In the office, we can look out for those who are lonely and hard to love. And I'm sure every office uh, has those sorts of people. I recently heard of, uh, of a story. There was this company where the cleaning auntie was let go after years and years of uh, faithfully being with this company. And there was restructuring. Now, this auntie is Malaysian, but because of COVID, she's been here. She's been unable to go back. And so she's here incurring costs in Sing dollars. And of course, now that she's been let go, she has all this rent to think about. 
bear in mind that this is not a Christian company. The auntie is not Christian. And I just want to share with you what the Christians in this company did. One of them found out just by casually talking to the auntie and saying, auntie, how are you? And when she did that, the auntie was just all tears and, and she told her what had happened. And this Christian was so upset that she told another sister in the company what had happened. This second sister then said, okay, we're going to organize a pot. We're going to pass around a bag to help auntie tide over between when she lost her job and when she can find a new one again. And that's not all. A third Christian in this company then took the time to coach her, to look through job ads, to encourage her to apply for a new job, which she did. And actually, one of these jobs required an entry exam. And the auntie said, I'm, I'm so old. I mean, I'm not good at studies. I, I'm, I'm giving up. And this sister said, no, auntie, you can do it. She encouraged her. She coached her. I'm really happy to tell you that auntie got the job, and she got a little bit that's enough to tie her between the jobs. This is an amazing testimony of how ordinary Christians in ordinary companies here in Singapore are doing things, stirring each other up towards love and good deeds, and not just stirring the Christians up, but stirring everyone else as well, stirring the whole office, which included believers and non-believers. What about at home? Well, if we want our children to care for their classmates and their playground mates, especially those maybe who don't have that many friends or who are typically shunned, then we need to be careful about how we treat those who are typically shunned in society. I'd like to share with you about one couple here in BBTC that was so intentional about stirring themselves and their child up to love and good deeds that they volunteered to deliver hot meals to uh, elderly residents in the neighborhood with their preschooler in tow. Now, I can tell you uh, a thing or two about preschoolers because I have several of my own. And I'll tell you, some mornings just getting out of the door on time as a family unit and getting down to the car is, is itself a small miracle. And getting from point A to point B is, is a feat. And this family is incredible because they don't just bring this preschooler along and leave her in the car while they deliver the food. They bring her around as well, door to door, because they believe it's important to inculcate that. They were stirring each other up within the family towards love and good deeds. And guess what? They stirred up plenty of others as well who heard this testimony towards love and good deeds. This is what the author of the book of Hebrews has in mind for us. He wants a community of believers, whether they are aristocrats or slaves or housewives or soldiers, in whatever capacity, to shine for Jesus where they are, to keep up the good works and to encourage those around us to do the same. So the question that I want us all to think about for this first exhortation is what love or good work have we neglected or put off? Or what love and good work can we encourage in those around us? Perhaps you have inadvertently hurt someone very badly and now you need to make a very difficult apology. Or perhaps you need to forgive someone who has hurt you very badly and has refused time after time to give that difficult apology. Oftentimes we know what needs to be done in theory, but in practice it's not so easy. And sometimes maybe we just need a little nudge. So can I, in the spirit of Hebrews 10.24, humbly encourage all of us to the love and good work of apologizing and of forgiving and let us stir each other on towards love and good deeds. And then having done so, let us keep up this good work.
So that's the first exhortation. Keep up the good works. We now move on to the second exhortation. Hebrews 10.25 warns us against neglecting to meet together. In other words, church, gather, keep meeting. This, I suppose, is the heart of the warning against deserting Christian assembly, right? I mean, if you talk about, okay, show me where in the Bible it says I must come to church. Usually this is the very verse that we're referred to, right? I think I've been referred to this verse by many a Sunday school teacher uh, in my history in, in BBTC. The animal that is used most often in the Bible to depict believers is the humble sheep. And sheep graze in flocks. The reason, of course, that the Good Shepherd warns against being a lone ranger sheep is that lone sheep make for easy pickings. And our enemy, the devil, prowls looking for those he may devour. What are some dangers of neglecting to meet together? When you warn someone, you must tell them the dangers. What are the dangers of stopping meeting? Well, one is that there's no accountability. James 5.16 calls us to confess our sins to each other that we may be healed. And the confession of sins is an important part of the Christian journey and of forgiveness. For starters, it is incredibly humbling. You are very vulnerable before the people you are confessing to. But more than that, there is a catharsis. There is something special. There is release about being able to come clean before brothers and sisters who are able to ask you the hard questions and whom you are able to ask hard questions to keep both of you on the straight and narrow. Another danger of neglecting to meet together is, of course, no growth and gradual backsliding. When we desert Christian assembly, when we neglect to meet with each other, when there's nobody to hold us accountable, we start being less and less uncomfortable with the things that we would not have done when we were in Christian assembly, and we start being more and more comfortable with the things we never would have done if we were within Christian assembly. If you don't come to church very soon, our lips are less uncomfortable with complaining, and then they become less uncomfortable with swearing. And then maybe they become less uncomfortable with blasphemy itself. And before long, we find ourselves backsliding in our personal faith. The Christian journey has often been compared to cycling up a hill. There's never really any standing still. Either you're plodding on upwards or you're sliding backwards. And a third consequence of neglecting to meet together is, of course, the lack of strength drawn from fellowship. And this is maybe something that we all understand really, really well. The fact that the Eventbrite tickets, for instance, are snapped up regularly uh, within 10 minutes every weekend attests to this, to that there's something special about corporate worship, about being together, worshipping the Lord, praying for each other, greeting each other, and seeing each other. And this happens not just at the corporate level, but also at the cell level and the family level. Online and off, there is something unique about worshipping the Lord together. And of course, this goes missing when we stop coming to church and we start wandering off on our own. So we know what's at stake if we stop meeting. Very good. How do we keep meeting? Especially in an age of renewed restrictions, of curtailed social interactions, of services cut down to 50 people max. How do we keep meeting in light of new measures that expressly discourage meeting? Well, first of all, we need to remember that Church is not a building, but
but a community of people that belong to the Lord. The Hebrews to whom this letter was first addressed did not have a fancy church building. So we don't need a building to keep meeting, although, of course, it's very nice to be able to meet in a building. The Hebrews were ostracized and excommunicated from the Jewish communities that they grew up in. They had to meet discreetly, usually in very small groups, usually very early in the morning or very late at night. This is because large groups were a liability. And yet, in the midst of their intense suffering, persecuted by the Roman community that they lived in, persecuted by the Jewish communities that they had left, they did not just merely congregate when they met together. They communed deeply. And we can do the same, whether physically or digitally. I mean, we thank God that unlike the Hebrews back then, we're not persecuted for our faith here in Singapore, most of us at least. But like the Hebrews, we need to commune deeply with each other. And we thank God that we do have the means to do so technologically. And up until the day where we can reconvene in person, we need to constantly and regularly check in on, pray for each other, our friends, our family, and our church community. The other thing to remember about the context back then is that Sunday mornings were not a day of rest. The idea of a seven-day work week is thoroughly Jewish, right? It comes from Genesis 1 and 2. And Rome had not adopted Judeo-Christian norms yet. It was just one workday after the next, after the next. The Hebrew Christians did not think about whether or not, why oh, I can give up two hours of precious weekend this, uh, this Sunday to go to church. They carved out time before or after the workday to congregate and to meet. And so, because it was so difficult, it's no surprise that many of them had gotten into the habit of not meeting, of taking some time off and gradually of going back to their old communities. It's the same for us, right? Here in Singapore, we're so time poor that sometimes all we want is some rest. And we also are often tempted to give up meeting altogether. Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings are a great time to catch up on some rest or to go and do other things. Well, let me encourage all of us to press on and to keep meeting. Of course, this is much easier to do when we have a community to do it. If we are plugged into the body life, being in a cell group, then we receive and give regular prayer coverage. The cell structure has really helped the church not just survive, but thrive. And this is based on the church in Hebrews, based on the church in Acts. And we can see why, right? It's in small, personable units and not large, faceless organizations that true bonds and growth can develop and, can, and friendships can thrive. Two weeks ago, David talked about his cell's prayer chat and how he shared what he thought was a trivial prayer request and then how he was pleasantly surprised and encouraged by all the support that came back. That is the strength and the sustenance that is drawn from fellowship in the Lord when we gather together. And by the way, it goes beyond WhatsApp messages, believe me. My dad just had a knee op, um, and it was quite a major op, and his cell group was really incredible in rallying around him. They prayed for him, uh, they sent him encouraging texts, and then, before we knew it, a wheelchair appeared, and then a walker, and then a quad stick. And his, uh, his cell supervisor even came over to the house to have a cup of coffee to check on him, to say, how are you doing, um, and to, to just uh, be a blessing in a time of need. And this is just an isolated case. I'm sure this happens throughout BBTC. This is really, really important, and it can only happen 
in a community that keeps meeting. So the questions that I want us to think about for the second exhortation are twofold, and they depend on, on what category you fall in. If you've been drifting away, then can I invite you this week, today, to come back to Christian fellowship. Come home. Come back to family. Coming back to church doesn't mean, as I said, walking back into the physical building of BBTC, although it often does mean that. Coming back, communing deeply is what really matters, connecting with Christian brothers and sisters. The Christian road is hard enough on its own. Don't walk it alone. In Ecclesiastes 4, we're reminded that two are better than one. If one of them falls, the other can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. And if you have been coming faithfully to church, but you do know of people who have been drifting, then can I encourage us to please reach out to those people in love and to stay in touch and to be a friend. You could be that person's only church community, especially if that person will never step foot in a church building or never step foot in a cell group meeting. Can I encourage you to keep loving them, keep praying for them, and keep meeting. We now move on to our third exhortation and the final one in these two verses, and that is the exhortation to keep on keeping on. After warning us not to give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, verse 25 tells us to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, obviously, the first question that crops up is what is the day that is spoken of here? I want to say up front that irrespective of your eschatology, whether you're pre-trib or post-trib or amil, or you're totally confused by all these terms, we are all agreed that at the end, there will be an end and that we will be reunited with Jesus and with one another. The world one day will end and we will be with God. That's the bottom line. That is what the day refers to. So why did the author of Hebrews invoke the coming day as a means to revive the flagging church? Well, because that is the goal towards which we all press. That is the light at the end of the tunnel. All the sacrifice, all the pain, all the suffering, it will all be worth it in the end. That is the promise of no more social distancing, no more masks, no more pain, no more suffering. And so what did the Hebrews have in mind as they read this encouragement in the letter to the Hebrews? Well, they would have had all the wonderful promises in the Old Testament about the day conjured up in their minds. They would have been reminded that God will swallow up death forever, that he will wipe away the tears from every face, that gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee, that the days of our sorrow will cease and that the sounds of weeping and crying will no longer be heard. And to the first century Christians who were languishing, how wonderful the words of Jeremiah would have been to hear never again will they languish. These words, even to us um, who live with relatively little persecution for our faith, mean so, so much. 
how much more must, have, must they have been words of incredible help to the people of the first century to whom this book was addressed. And furthermore, we today have more promises than them. We have the New Testament promises that the last enemy to be destroyed is death, that death in Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire, and that, as John reminds us in Revelation, repeating Isaiah, Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things would have passed away. God, through the author of the book of Hebrews, is encouraging us to keep on keeping on. He knows it's tough. He knows what we're going through. And yet the Lord not only says, take heart, my son, my daughter, he tells us, his children, to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. The end is in sight. Press on. Press on. The reason we encourage each other is simple. Proverbs 15 reminds us that kind words bring life and health. It is kind words that have radically changed and transformed lives. It is kind words that have persuaded the desperate to step back from the ledge. It is kind words that have redemptive power just as much as harsh words have destructive power. A kind word can root itself in a person's heart and build that person up. A harsh word, similarly, can lodge itself in a person's heart, festering and smarting and tearing down. And so the question that I have for all of us to consider for this third short exhortation is who can you encourage this week to keep on keeping on? Who can you encourage this week to keep on keeping on? Church, you know as well as I do that times are difficult. People are lonely. People are out of jobs. To earn a living, many have to take risks just to be out and about. And these financial and societal pressures, they take their toll on us. They shorten our fuses. With more people staying home, there's more friction in families. And as a society, we're turning on our domestic helpers, we're turning on our neighbors, we're turning on our spouses, we're turning on our parents, on our children, we're turning on ourselves. If ever there was a time to soothe the wounds of deep and stinging hurt, if ever there was a time to encourage each other to keep on keeping on, it is now. And as a church, a community that belongs to the Lord, let us encourage each other and all the more as we see the day approaching. And then, when once we are encouraged, let us then go out and encourage the hurting world. In closing, church, let me just briefly recap uh, today's message. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 is a familiar passage, and it exhorts us to do three things in light of the Lord's return. It exhorts us to keep up the good works, and I had asked us all to think about whether or not there was a good work that we had neglected to do. It exhorts us to keep meeting, to gather together, and I asked all of us to think about those of our loved ones who had slowly stopped meeting, that we can lovingly encourage to gather once more, informally, but deeply 
and in Christ's love. And thirdly, it exhorts us to keep on keeping on. And I ask us to think about who we could reach out to with a much-needed word of encouragement, a word of kindness and hope in a world of perpetual bad news. And if you yourself are hurting and wounded and in need to hear an encouraging word, then after the service, would you tune into the breakout rooms? We will pray with you. We will pray for you. And we will share a loving and a kind word with you. The breakout rooms will shortly open. Come, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, and the Lord will give you rest. The day is coming, church. The day is coming when the Lord will return. The end will finally come. Don't disqualify yourself in the process. Let us cross the finish line together. Let us hang in there. Would you keep on keeping on? As the music plays, I just want us to consider the words of the closing song, which you'll see in a couple of minutes. It's an old song. It hasn't been sung here for a while. But it reminds us that we are a church, not a building, but a community of believers who belong to the Lord. We are Christ's. That is what church means. And so we are a people of the Lord who are in it together for the long haul. A band of brothers and sisters who will not only help each other out, but the wider world. Church, we're not a country club. We're not a social gathering. We're a war hospital. And there is a full-blown pandemic out there. And so many people out there are in desperate need of love and of good deeds, of fellowship, and of encouragement. And they will find the healing that they need in here if only we will keep up the good works and keep meeting and keep on encouraging each other to keep on. So may we be encouraged, church, by the exhortations in Hebrews and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, you see every heart and you hear every cry. You store our tears up in a bottle. You know our pains and our wounds. Father, help us to draw strength from you and from each other and help us to no longer neglect the love and good work that you have called us to do. Grant us the courage to do it. Help us persevere in meeting with each other, especially when we don't feel like it. And help us love the hurting world with your love, that the world may know that you are God and you are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, will you join me as we rise to sing the closing song?
commit today to being that believer who will not give up the habit, who will continue to gather for your own good, but also for the good of those around you who could use your encouragement, who could use your love. Will you commit this day? Make it a personal commitment to God. God, I'm not going to give up on church. I'm not going to give up on the people around me. And I'm going to make sure they're not going to give up on me as well. While amidst the service, there have been various intercessors who have been praying for those who are here on site and online. Some words of knowledge have surfaced and if these mean anything to you, can I encourage you to respond to prayer ministers. For those of you who are online in the breakthrough, in the, the breakthrough house on Zoom of prayer, someone here is having pain on your right shoulder blade. Someone is experiencing an ache from the right hip down to the leg. Someone has a pain on the left side of your body, your stomach, your spleen. There is a picture, a vision of a cyclone. Someone is swept away by a series of events and you have difficulty coping. Don't despair. Turn your eyes to Jesus. He is your strength and your refuge. Someone has a stomach ache due to anxiety. 
Someone has numbness in both lower arms, below your elbows, all the way down to your fingers. Someone is struggling with depression. There is a vision of a whale in an ocean who desires to be a goldfish in a fishbowl. The message here is that someone is a leader and you have influence that benefits many in the marketplace, but due to your setbacks, you want to draw back. Instead, rest in the Lord and seek His wisdom for a comeback. Finally, there's a vision of a vertical uh, farming at a high-rise building. The message here is for someone to be flexible, adaptable to circumstances. There will be new growth coming your way. Don't use yesterday's methods to solve today's problems. Church, if that, will those words mean anything to you? Uh, especially if you're online, you can also tune into the Breakthrough House Zoom Rooms with the, through the link on your screen right now. Allow me to close this service in a word of benediction. The benediction out of the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may He equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.